Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is the Anesthesia Learn on the Go podcast series from the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology. In these episodes, we will provide a high-yield clinical review of some of the common topics encountered by anesthesiologists at all levels. The following episode will be recorded by a member of our department at UK. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at UK Anesthesia and subscribe to the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology YouTube channel for our video cast. Now fire up your headphones, relax, and let's talk anesthesia. Good day or night whenever you are listening to this podcast. This is Braxton Adkins, a CA3 resident of anesthesiology at the University of Kentucky. This two-part podcast will cover a broad range of peripheral nerve blocks that residents and attendings in our department commonly perform, and by the conclusion of this podcast should provide oncoming residents and interns a good idea of what nerve block is commonly performed for various surgeries or traumas at the surgeon's request, of course. This presentation is not all-encompassing, and further reading can and should be done by residents hoping to master peripheral nerve blocks. In particular, both the NYSORA website and Grant and Auying's book, Ultrasound Guided Regional Anesthesia, were generally excellent sources of images and instruction. General procedure for nerve blocks starts with consenting the patient for the planned procedure. To start, introduce yourself and go over the highlights of the patient's medical history, any major cardiovascular pathology, medication allergies, or concern for infection or neuropathy may impact your plan to advocate for or avoid regional anesthesia. To consent for the nerve block, patients should understand the benefits of a nerve block, which can range from postoperative analgesia to avoiding general anesthesia and its associated complications, including uh, postoperative nausea and vomiting, respiratory depression, and postoperative cognitive dysfunction. Additionally, patients should be informed of risks of peripheral nerve blocks, including, but not limited to, infection, nerve damage, failed nerve block, and local anesthetic systemic toxicity, or LAST. Contraindications to regional anesthesia include patient refusal, so ultimately, if an informed patient declines a nerve block, they should not be coerced. To perform the procedure, patients should generally be monitored with standard ASA monitors, including 3-lead EKG, non-invasive blood pressure, and pulse oximetry. Prior to beginning a procedure, a timeout is performed to confirm the procedure is being performed on the correct patient, quickly review any medication allergies or anticoagulation concerns, and lastly, to confirm the planned surgical procedure and regional anesthesia, uh, particularly the correct laterality. Signed consents are also confirmed, particularly if sedation is provided to patient. Patients may require nasal cannula oxygen and or capnography. Finally, we are able to perform the nerve block. Nerve blocks are commonly organized by upper extremity, lower extremity, and truncal nerve blocks. We will begin with discussion of the upper extremity nerve blocks. As an aside, generally, I will not discuss nerve stimulation in this podcast, However, for most extremity nerve blocks, it can and arguably should be utilized to both increase the confidence that the nerve on your ultrasound screen is actually the nerve you desire, as well as decreasing the risk of intraneural injection and long-lasting or permanent nerve injury. In many private practice settings, one of the most commonly performed upper extremity nerve blocks would be an interscaling nerve block. At our outpatient surgery center, 
This nerve block is particularly useful for shoulder arthroscopy and repair. Like most nerve blocks, it can be performed as a single-shot nerve block, meaning anesthesia medication is injected around the nerve and the needle is withdrawn, or can be performed as a continuous nerve block with injection of anesthetic around the nerves using a slightly larger needle and the subsequent introduction of a nerve catheter either through or over the needle to continue the nerve block with an infusion of anesthetic using said catheter. If a peripheral nerve catheter is placed sterilely for any surgery, it is of the utmost importance to secure the catheter in a way that it does not allow it to migrate out, often using dermabond at the insertion site and so that the dressings do not get in the way of the planned surgical field or tourniquets that may be used. For an interscaling nerve block, generally we perform a single shot nerve block, with the exceptions being placement of nerve catheters for three circumstances, frozen shoulder, chronic pain patients, and total shoulder arthroplasties. To perform an interscaling nerve block, the patient is positioned reclining on a stretcher at about 45 degrees with the head turned away from the operative side. It is sometimes helpful to place a pillow under the patient's head and contralateral shoulder to provide extra space on the operative side for your hands and ultrasound probe between the bed and the patient. To start scanning for an interscaling nerve block, place the probe between the neck and the shoulder, approximately mid-clavicle, scanning down into the thorax. Once the pulsatile subclavian artery is located, the brachial plexus can typically be seen at the supraclavicular level as a bunch of grapes or hypoechoic or dark circles within the hyperechoic or white fascicles. The brachial plexus can be traced proximately towards the neck until the appearance of a desired stoplight, locally known by Dr. Lasher as the snowman with his scarf, consisting of the C5 and C6 nerve roots between the anterior and middle scalene muscles. Generally, this is a few centimeters up the neck from the initial supraclavicular view. Once the image is obtained, as with any block, the ultrasound hand should be anchored and resting on the patient to avoid drift during the procedure. The interscaling block should be performed with an approach from posterior to anterior to avoid, as much as possible, involvement or injury to the various arteries and veins in the anterior neck as well as the phrenic nerve. As was stated before, the interscaling block is primarily helpful for shoulder surgeries or, less commonly, clavicle surgery, and will not reliably provide anesthesia or analgesia below the elbow, particularly the medial ulnar aspect of the upper extremity. Additionally, even with routine use of ultrasound and the posterior approach, phrenic nerve block occurs nearly all of the time, so caution should be used in patients with tenuous respiratory status. Moving more distally along the brachial plexus, the next nerve block of the ultra upper extremity is the supraclavicular nerve block, which has been described by many, including our own Dr. Gist, as the spinal of the arm, which can be used for anything from shoulder analgesia to, the distal finger, to a distal finger procedure. In my anecdotal experience, the supraclavicular block is commonly done at our institution for procedures such as AV fistula creation, but can be utilized for most upper extremity surgeries. To perform a supraclavicular nerve block, much like the start of the interscaling nerve block, the probe is placed above the clavicle, roughly mid-clavicle, and the brachial plexus is viewed as a bunch of grapes, posterolateral to the subclavian artery, and ideally located above the first rib. Additionally, it is a good idea, if unsure, to turn on color Doppler to evaluate possible arterial vessels which may be in the vicinity of the brachial plexus. 
The needle is inserted laterally and driven medially, aiming for the bottom of the plexus as the artery meets the first rib. In general, the deeper, inferior portions of the plexus contain the nerves for the ulnar distribution and the more superior portions can provide analgesia to the shoulder, with slightly lower phrenic nerve involvement. For obvious reasons, avoid driving the needle into pleura, blood vessels, and as always, aspirate your syringe of anesthetic prior to injecting to avoid intravascular injection. The supraclavicular nerve block is versatile and can provide decent analgesia all the way to the hand, but with suboptimal technique, it is possible that the ulnar distribution may be missed. It is important to make sure you deposit local on both the deep and superficial parts of the plexus. Phrenic nerve paralysis remains a significant risk with the supraclavicular nerve block. Before the routine use of ultrasound, the risk of pneumothorax made the supraclavicular nerve block less appealing. Moving down the brachial plexus, an infraclavicular block can be utilized for similar upper extremity analgesia, but with slightly less risk of phrenic involvement. Additionally, securing of a nerve catheter, if desired, may be more reliable with an infraclavicular nerve block due to the mobile nature of the supraclavicular site and the pectoralis muscles below the clavicle, which can help anchor an infraclavicular catheter. There are multiple approaches to perform an infraclavicular nerve block with needle insertion both above and below the clavicle. For the approach caudal to the clavicle, the patient is, is supine with the arm abducted 90 degrees, the anesthetist stands at the head of the bed to the operative side and places the probe below the clavicle, roughly mid-clavicle, searching for the axillary artery with a probe oriented along the paramedian plane. Generally, this approach can work, but is often challenging due to the steep angle required with the clavicle being in the way. For the approach cephalad to the cl clavicle, also known as the retroclavicular approach, the patient is instead positioned with their arm adducted, but otherwise in similar position, allowing for a more shallow, flat needle insertion with the needle passing deep to the clavicle and appearing in plane under the ultrasound probe. The axillary artery is visualized generally deep to the pectoralis major and minor and the brachial plexus at the level of the cords can be found as bright hyperechoic blobs of tissue surrounding the artery. Once the artery and plexus are visualized, the needle is inserted several centimeters away from the probe and using a relatively shallow approach inserted from cephalad to caudad, aiming deep to the axillary artery first then depositing anesthetic incrementally to surround the axillary artery. To optimize success and reduce the risk of pneumothorax, the block should be done more laterally, as the pleura is typically deeper and the clavicle is farther from your insertion site, allowing for more room for needle placement. Much like the supraclavicular nerve block, there is risk of pneumothorax. However, again, infraclavicular nerve block may be more ideal if placement of a nerve catheter is desired and there is a very minimal risk of ner phrenic nerve paralysis. Conversely, infraclavicular nerve blocks can be considered more technically challenging. If analgesia of the hand or fingers is required for surgery or injury, an axillary nerve block is typically the block of choice as this provides excellent analgesia to the surgical site while avoiding a weakness of the shoulder, in addition, there is zero risk of phrenic nerve involvement, with minimal risk of pneumothorax, making it ideal if preserved respiratory mechanics are absolutely necessary. To perform this nerve block, the patient is positioned similar to the infraclavicular positioning, with the arm abducted and resting on a table to the side. 
the ideal probe placement should be deep into the axilla with the conjoint tendon of latissimus and teres major visualized as hyperechoic bright line deep to the axillary artery. If the conjoint tendon is not visualized, scan deeper into the axilla as performing the block too far distally can make it difficult to adequately anesthetize the radial nerve as it may quickly dive away from the rest of the neurovascular complex as you move more distal. Human anatomy can be variable, but traditionally at the level of the axillary nerve block, we are scanning the terminal branches of the brachial plexus with the radial, ulnar, and median nerves from posterior to superior around the axillary artery and the musculocutaneous nerve running in between coracobrachialis or biceps muscle. The terminal branches of the brachial plexus or even individual digits can be anesthetized individually if only specific nerves need to be blocked. However, this podcast will not cover those for time and are uncommonly performed by our acute pain service. Supplementation of your upper extremity nerve block to cover things like tourniquet pain over the biceps can be done with an endocostobrachial nerve block. This nerve block is generally performed as a field block without much help from ultrasound. Generally, 5 to 10 milliliters of local local anesthetic uh, is injected as a superficial subdermal sausage along the medial aspect of the biceps above the brachial flat fascia to block this nerve separately from your brachial nerve block. This must be done due to nerves ari- due to the nerve arising from the T2 intercostal uh, nerves and not the brachial plexus. That is a quick overview of the nerve blocks we commonly perform in the upper extremity, as well as some tips for regional in general. Thanks for listening. Tune in for part two for nerve blocks of the lower extremity and trunk. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have ideas for future podcasts, please reach out to us via email at learnonthego at uky.edu. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts as well, on Instagram and Twitter, UK Anesthesia. From all of us at UK Department of Anesthesiology, have a great day.